0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this week. We're glad you've come back to see if we can answer your question today. And that's what we do on Know Your Bible is answer viewer questions. And we get all kinds of viewer questions. Uh, some of them are specifically about the Bible. Uh, Want to know about this verse or that chapter or this doctrine and is it really in the Bible or some folks have heard a saying and want to know where can you find that in the Bible. We are happy to help with any of those kind of questions or we get a lot of questions about life and current events and uh, current moral situations and want to know what the Bible has to say about it, we're happy to look for those also. So that's what we do is discuss the Bible. From your point of view, if you've got a question, we'll try to answer it. Phone number or website on the screen all the time. You can use those anytime you want. Uh, Give us your question or your uh, concern, and we'll try to find an answer for you. Let me introduce Toby Levering who helps me answer questions every week. Hi, Toby. Hello, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. And I'm sure our viewers are calling in some more questions and uh, logging them on the website because we always get more than we keep up with. Uh, we keep getting new ones and we enjoy trying to find answers to them, so keep calling. Alright, uh, we've got a trivia question for our viewers and then we'll let, uh, get we'll to question number one. Uh, what child was prepared for sacrifice? A child in the Old Testament that was told he was going to be sacrificed to God and was actually prepared for it. And uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know that story in the Bible. All right, I think I drew the first one today, and it's about Old Testament practices. A viewer says, If God overthrew a tribe, would the children go to heaven or hell? Well, uh, interesting question, good good thinking. If you read the Old Testament... Uh, as the Israelites moved into the Promised Land after the captivity and all of that they were told to destroy entire peoples, uh, pagan tribes uh, that worshiped Baal or other horrible gods and were just going to be a distraction and a, a, a problem for the Israelites as they settled the land. So, God told them to go to war with these people, wipe them out, uh, and eliminate them. Uh, when they didn't do that, when they let some of them live, let them, uh, gave them a pass and didn't per- uh, completely wipe them out they had troubles in the future. Uh, so, that was what God told them. It was a completely different time than it is now. It was a different culture and that's what He did. Uh, so, this viewer says, Well, when He did that, how about all the little kids in that <laughs> tribe? Uh, did they go to Heaven or Hell or what happened? Uh, well, we know about children from the rest of the Bible that they are born innocent, uh, that God's mercy and grace will take care of them, they are not accountable for uh, the sins of their fathers, the Bible specifically says. So, if a child was killed in one of these purges that the viewer is talking about, I have no doubt they went to Heaven. And it seems like kind of a strange thought, but actually that, that they were a whole lot better off. Uh, than being raised in that pagan environment and all of the sin and debauchery and things that they would be uh, subject to over their lifetime. And it would have been a hard old life back then. So getting to go to heaven straight from there would be a pretty good deal, actually. Uh, They'd be a lot better off. But let me also add this. They didn't always do that. In fact, there is a passage about letting the children live that I thought our viewer might enjoy. Second 2 Chronicles 25.4, uh, let's put that on the screen. Uh, this one's talking about one of the kings that says, But he did not put their children to death, but did according to that which is written in the law, in the book of Moses, as Jehovah commanded, saying, The fathers shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers but every man shall die for his own sin. Okay, Now that's a principle that God had for His people is if my father committed a sin... Uh, They couldn't put me to death for it or couldn't punish me for it. And if I committed the sin or did something wrong they couldn't punish my father for it. Uh, So one king said, Well, I'm going to follow that principle about these people. And when he uh, waged war with them he didn't uh, kill the children. So uh, they did it both ways and they didn't always kill all the children which sounds barbaric to us, I know. But God had a purpose. God was bringing the Messiah into the world. and uh, Like I say, He... He knew exactly what he was doing and took the right ones to heaven.
1: (laughs) Yep, he handled it exactly right. I think he did. (laughs) Next viewer asked the question, I have been divorced 20 years. My ex was abusive and unfaithful. Is it wrong to start dating his brother? Well, you know, God intended marriage to be for a lifetime. Of course, we understand. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 19, uh, that at the beginning God created them male and female, and uh, that no man should divide that union. However, uh, sin does create problems, and it gets in the way, and I think Jesus understood that. Of course, at Jesus' time, uh, it had just gotten so ridiculous that they were divorcing each other for very uh, uh, simple, uh, really unreasonable uh, excuses and they would just get in marriages and get out of marriages and divorce and uh, it would cause all sorts of problems. Uh, as you describe it, I don't think that is exactly your situation. Um, of course, Jesus said that uh, adultery creates the ability for, for a spouse who's left to uh, enter into marriage again. And so if that's what you mean by unfaithful, I say technically you probably could. Now, you ask, is it okay to start dating his brother? And this uh, steps into an area of wisdom. And my question is not could you, but should you? Uh, of course, we understand that two people get married. It's not just those two people, but it's two families that are <laughs> merging together. And if you're planning to start dating the brother of your former uh, husband, uh, that's going to create some awkward moments around the holiday table. That's going to create some difficulties, and there's going to be come up some instances where creates a lot of problems. Uh, so what I'm going to advise you to do, rather than give you specific advice in a three-minute answer, is uh, uh, tell you to go see a Christian marriage counselor and, and uh, spell out your situation exactly to him or her. And uh, you'll find, if you find a good, uh, Bible-based Christian counselor, uh, that person will give you the right advice concerning your situation. But in a general answer on television, I'm going to say use exceptional caution and wisdom in entering into such a situation. It is, I see a whole lot of red flags that could really uh, cause damage to your second marriage. So uh, can you? Maybe technically yes should you is really the deeper question and you should should see a marriage counselor uh, before entering into any of that discussion. You'd only date someone you'd intend to marry, so
0: that's my answer. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Phil. We, <laughs> <laughs> we, we tend to stay away from giving yeah. marriage or uh. dating advice on this program because the main reason is you only get one side of the story. Right, whoever, exactly. Whoever calls in the question yep. paints it their way and all yep. that. And, you can't do any kind of counseling that way. Yeah. I'd give you one more piece of <coughs> advice, though. Uh, ask, ask your best friends uh, what they think about this. Ask your parents, perhaps, if they're still involved. Uh, if, your friends who have known you for a long, long time probably know if this is a good idea or not or have a sense of it. So ask them what they think about it and pay attention instead of already having your mind made up and ignoring them. Yep. Uh, yep. Good wisdom from friends sometimes helps. <laughs> Alright, a viewer wants to know about baptism and they've got a couple of verses that uh, I think from the question they, they they don't believe baptism is necessary. and. I think Acts 2.21 disproves Acts 2.38 perhaps, but their question (laughs) is about the necessity of baptism. Uh, Explain Acts 2.21 and 2.38. How do they go together? All right, let's just put them on the screen together and work through this. Acts 2.21 is part of a prophecy that Peter quoted in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And it said, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then verse 238, after Peter had told them who Jesus was, He was the Messiah and all that, and that they had crucified Him, and they said, What do we do? We are guilty. What do we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, forgiveness of your sins. That's pretty clear. But there are folks in the world, good hard Bible studying folks who have been told all their life that baptism's not necessary. Uh, comes from a division way back where uh, baptism would become just a work where it was trusted in by itself. And Luther and the others said, no, it's by faith. You've got to have faith instead of just doing the act. Well, we understand that, but that doesn't change what the Bible teaches about baptism. It is when God saves us. And when a direct question about what do we have to do to be saved is answered by Peter, you've got to be baptized. Uh, we can't just ignore that or cancel it out by another verse. We have to make all these verses make sense together. Acts 2.21 doesn't cancel out anything. Acts 2.38 doesn't cancel out anything. Uh, we got to take them together and say, well, what's he mean there? And that does sound a little bit different. Uh, Acts 2.21 sounds like all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. Well, maybe a clue is we need to figure out, well, what is calling on the name of the Lord? If we figure that out, we might have no problem. So let me just describe a situation to you here. Uh, There was a fellow in the Bible, uh, happened to be Saul of Tarsus. Uh, He met Jesus on the road. He he got to talk to Jesus uh, in the light that came down. He confessed that Jesus was Lord. He called upon his name. He said, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, He was blinded and then later healed by the power of God. Uh, He was told that he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles he received his call actually already. He fasted and prayed for 3 days. He did all of those things. Now, do you think Acts 221 would cover that? Surely he's calling on the name of the Lord in there and that would make him all right. Surely he's a Christian in there somewhere, isn't he? Well, when the preacher came to see him and the preacher healed him and then told him about everything. Uh, the preacher Ananias had one last sentence for him. After all of that, in Acts 22:16, and let's look at it on the screen, here's what the preacher said to him. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Calling on his name is the whole package. If you're calling on the Lord to save you, you're doing everything that he says to do. And that's the last thing that the preacher told Saul, I know all this other stuff has happened, but you still got sins. What washes away your sins? When they get washed away actually is at baptism. So what are you waiting for? Rise, get baptized, wash away your sins. Uh, Absolutely no contradiction between calling on the name of the Lord. That's how you call on the name of the Lord is do whatever He tells you to do. Uh, so, those two passages are absolutely not in conflict. They just reinforce each other. Uh, if you want to call on the name of the Lord, you got to do what the Lord says. And that's what Saul did, and Saul became uh, probably the greatest Christian that ever lived, in my estimation anyway. So, no conflict there, I don't believe. Alright, take just a moment to uh, talk about studying the Bible. We get a few questions in each week and cover parts of the Bible, but. So much more is left that we never get to. So, we've got some Bible study materials that we'll send to you free, and uh, we hope you can use them in your home and spend some time studying the Bible in your home. If you do, I think you'll find out that you can learn a whole lot more about the Bible. So, uh, we'll be happy to send these free materials to you. We've got an introductory course that's a good basic uh, course in the Bible starts out by talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament and then it's got a number of other topics in it. And once you get through that we've got some more advanced courses that uh, help you learn about specific books of the Bible. We've got one that the whole studies about the life of Jesus. Uh, so, a lot of different topics and uh, we, can, we can keep you studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study tools. And uh, we've had thousands of people take us up on that over the years. and. Uh, Most of them write back or call back and tell us how much they enjoyed it and how much they learned from it. So if you'd like to be one of those, phone number, website at the bottom of the screen. Give us a call and we'll uh, get the courses started for you. Uh, you can go as long as you want, fast as you want, or you can stop at any time. If it uh, turns out to be something you're not happy with, that's fine. We won't bother you in any way. So no risk at all, no no charge. Uh, we pay the postage both ways. So can't get a better deal than that these days. So give us a call and let us get it started for you. All right, Toby. You're- give us one, please. Sure.
1: A viewer asked the question, <clears throat> why are there so many preachers in favor of same-sex marriage when the Bible says homosexuals will not enter the kingdom? Well, uh, when you ask me the question of why, my simple answer is probably because it's easier to do that. Uh, the, the world is changing dramatically and quickly on the matter of homosexuality and whether or not it's Uh, a sinful behavior or not and it just means the world's values are doing like the world's values have always done shifting and changing and uh, I'm sure half century from now we'll have other values that fall and shift and change which is why it's so important that we stand on the foundation of God's Word which does not change uh, because God is not uh, someone who changes like the shifting shadows he is constant and reliable and his word is timeless Uh, in all of its commands and laws. Now, uh, why do they do that? Uh, It's easier, number one. Also, it's more popular. Uh, It's easier to be a a preacher who says, you know, I, I just going to ignore everything, and you just come as you are, and Jesus loves you just as you are, and you don't have to change anything, well, man, that's a lot easier gospel to preach. Now, it's not the gospel that Jesus preached. Uh, Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must take up his cross and deny himself daily. Um, Christian discipleship and the journey of that is hard, and difficult. So, uh, I think it's easier, it's more popular, uh, but what's easier is definitely not what's always right. God's Word just gives us the path of what's right, not what's easy. Uh, And it's certainly not popular. Look at any of the prophets down through the history of the Bible and you'll see that many of them uh, had to preach God's Word instead of the word of culture and what the culture wanted to hear. And uh, that puts the prophet or the preacher in, a, in an unusual position sometimes. And a person who's not of character or integrity will just bow to the whims of whatever culture wants. So when you say a preacher, uh, I view that a little differently. I view a preacher as someone who sticks firmly and solidly on God's Word. What does the book say? And be as true to that as you can and say it with firmness and conviction, of course, with love. Um, Peter, I'm sorry, not Peter, Timothy, uh, Paul, excuse me, Paul uh, warned of a day that would come when people would not want to preach or even hear uh, what was true, but rather what was popular, what seemed easy. Uh, Let's look at the verse on the screen, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul wrote, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. If you are honest and look at the Bible clearly and uh, openly, you can see that it is very clear on the matter of homosexual behavior, that it is sinful and that there are many sinful behaviors. And the only salvation from those sinful behaviors is through repentance, baptism into Jesus Christ and by living the Christian life. And uh, that's why we know that all types of sins, including homosexuality, can be uh, we can have washed away uh, in Christ and that we can uh, walk in, in the light and no longer walk in darkness. Find a preacher, make sure he or she uh, is, is preaching and teaching the Word, not what's just popular in culture.
0: All right. Thank you, Toby. You sit in there 50 years from now probably we'd have different values in the world and all that. Uh, I'm old and probably a little negative. I'm not sure we're going to make 50 more years (laughs) with the way way things are going. Uh, Psalms 11.3 says, When the foundations are destroyed, uh, what can the righteous do? And it seems like the foundations are being destroyed. Very basic things uh, like you were talking about are being destroyed. Uh, There will come a time when God has had enough, and uh, the reason I know that is because it had already happened once, and the mm-hmm. stories about the flood and the viewer called in, and I put it next here, he asked, uh, "Why did God uh, destroy the earth with a flood that 's the question: uh, Why did God destroy the earth with a flood and if that's all you know is he destroyed the earth with a flood? It does seem kind of overreacting or something. You know, you destroyed the whole earth. Well, uh, I put some scriptures on the screen here. The story itself gives us at least four reasons over in Genesis chapter 6. Let's look at those. Uh, Verse 5 says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth. It It was everywhere. And verse 5 goes on and says, Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He said mankind, uh, just everything he thought of was evil. And he just kept dreaming up new evils. Uh, number three, the earth was filled with violence. Uh, people were murdering and killing each other. and there was just violence everywhere. And the fourth reason, it says the earth was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Uh, sounds a little bit like a description of 2015, you know, if you, if you take it that way. But I know old people have been saying that for 20 centuries so uh, maybe it can get worse and maybe god's going to be patient with us and uh, let us go a little bit longer but at that point he had had enough and he said we're going to start over so that's the short answer His things had gotten so bad the man had gotten so evil that God said, I'm going to take, we're going to start over right now. So uh, I don't think the the next time it's not going to happen. It's not going to be a flood. It's not going to be temporary and we're not going to start over. Uh, We're going to be done and we're going to go to heaven or to hell and that's the end of it. So that's what's coming. All right. Uh, Let me invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. We've got uh, uh, lots of folks that support this program and help keep us on the air and we like to mention a few of them each week. Uh, I mentioned three together this week in case you live in Central Kansas somewhere, South Central Kansas, around Isabel, uh, or Kingman, or Meade. I guess Meade's not South Central Meade, pretty pretty <laughs> West. Uh, but any of those uh, communities have a great Church of Christ there, a good group of folks that uh, believe and know your Bible and help us stay on the air. And uh, even if you're happy in your church home and not looking for a new place, Uh, If you know somebody from one of those congregations, it would be just a nice thing to do to say, you know, I watched that program, Know Your Bible, and I saw the other morning that uh, you support it, and I appreciate that, and just give them a thank you. If you are looking for a church home, uh, anywhere you're watching Know Your Bible, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Drop in and visit one of them sometime, and you'll find, I know you'll be warmly welcomed, and you'll find a group of people that are serious about Bible study, like we are on this program, so visit the Church of Christ. If you know somebody in one, give them a thank you for keeping us on the air. All right, Toby, what's next? I've got the wrong
1: job. Okay. I do not understand the Bible, <laughs> such as our next viewer. You do not understand the Bible! Exclamation point. The Ten Commandments are the laws of God, not the laws of Moses. They were never done away with, and you are deceiving the nation, not teaching them. My goodness, I. Am. I have apparently offended, or one of us has offended, it was probably Steve, <laughs> who uh, who offended someone and, uh, uh, well, let me back up and say you you are right, first of all, the Ten Commandments are the laws of God, they were, of course, given through Moses. Uh, my guess is we were probably answering a question that we often get from a group of religious folks who, uh, who like uh, observing the old laws, not really the entire old law, just one specific commandment of the old law and um, that commandment is remember the sabbath and keep it holy and our answer to that typically is that that command was one of the commands uh, of God given through Moses that changed when the covenant changed. There are, by one count, about 611 commands and laws of God in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and that was given specifically to the descendants of Abraham. Uh, So it wasn't a universal covenant by any means, and they were bound by all of those laws. And the whole purpose of the laws was to lead us to Christ, because anyone (laughs) tried to keep, you know, not just all 611, but just the basic 10... I mean, you can live for about 30 seconds before you break one of them. And the whole point of the laws was to show us that we needed a Savior, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is one group that just uh, is set on this one command, and it must be kept. And uh, we are simply uh, have a misunderstanding here about what covenant we're under today scripture tells us that we live under the new covenant that's why we don't make animal sacrifices it's why we don't burn incense it's why we don't go to the temple Uh, all of those parts of the old law just like the sabbath Mm -hmm. jesus now is our sabbath rest and we're not bound by the rules of the strictness of the sabbath but understanding that our rest comes from in christ alone so, if uh, I would encourage you to sign up for the Bible Correspondence course. These first two lessons of that will make this very clear to understand the difference in the old and the new. Let's read Romans chapter 7, uh, verses 5 and 6 together. For we <clears throat> when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released. He would later say that the old law was nailed to the cross. We've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So I hope that helps uh, answer it briefly, but if you want more detail, you certainly should uh, check out the Bible
0: Correspondence course. Okay, thank you, Toby. See if we can squeeze this one in here. Viewer says, Where does it say that men shouldn't marry men and women shouldn't marry women? All right, show me a verse where it says men can't marry men and women can't <coughs> marry women. I can't show you that verse. It doesn't exist. The Bible doesn't say it in black and white like that. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot of things negatively. The Bible just says here's the standard, and then it doesn't take time to list all the anti-standards. It just says here's the way it is. And God's plan for marriage is settled on the first couple of pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, let's look at it. God is talking about marriage and He says, For this reason, marriage, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and they will become one flesh. That's how marriage works. A man and a woman become one. They are designed that way. They fit together physically they fit together emotionally and mentally they help each other they complete each other men and women are different and together they make marriage that's the plan anything other than that is an anti-plan or an oxymoron actually uh not the way it works you can't have a man and man marriage because it doesn't fit together it doesn't work god says here's the standard doesn't take time to describe all the non-standards. So uh, that's the verse I'd look for. We're glad you've been with us today. We hope you'll be back next week as we try. Oh, forgot the trivia question. The answer is <laughs> Isaac to who was prepared. All right. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area.